Let's say you're an alpaca. Just stay with me on this. So you're an alpaca, the most adored mammal within the camelid family. You're more exotic and frankly cooler than the more workaday camelid you're often confused with, the llama. Well, you've probably noticed you're currently enjoying a moment of sorts. A moment that arguably began around the turn of the century with the boomlet of alpaca business startups. And like most fads circa 1999, this one was supercharged by ads that ran on cable television late at night. What does AOBA stand for? AOBA stands for Alpaca Owners and Breeders Association. AOBA stands for over 20 years of commitment to the alpaca livestock industry. And AOBA stands with you. When you decide to start your own alpaca business, go to alpacainfo.com. To see what over 20 years of alpaca entrepreneurship has wrought, let's skip ahead to TikTok and the proliferation of alpaca videos there. You must water your alpacas or they won't grow. Thanks to your wide set, saucer eyes, and permanent smirk, you are a natural subject for media platforms that, through their brevity, privilege cuteness above all other aesthetic qualities. You get millions of hearts, but a job more lasting than social media influencer awaits you in rural Oregon, where you are already the protagonist in one of the most important struggles of our time. Two, actually. The fight to eradicate both tuberculosis and HIV AIDS in Sub-Saharan Africa. Feel important yet? This is One Future, presented by the Center for Global Child Health Research. February 2016, after 10 years landing at one prestigious lab after another, Dr. Fikaru Tefesa began teaching molecular biology at Oregon Health and Science University in Portland. One of the first trips he made was to the state's farmland. It's feasible rural Oregon could have represented a homecoming of sorts for the young scientist who was born and raised in Ethiopia. My interest in terms of the farm goes back to my childhood. Dr. Tefesa, Center for Global Child Health Research. Um, my parents are farmers. Growing up, I really want to do is just being a farmer. And I know we have actually a big farm back in Ethiopia. But it wasn't nostalgia that brought him back to the farm. It was, well, this is where it gets interesting. After obtaining several degrees in agriculture, Dr. Tefesa studied horticulture in Germany. It was there his interest in science began to eclipse his focus on farming. And then I get really excited about the science aspect. I kind of um, put aside the farming component and I'm more interested in the basic biology aspect of plant. Uh, and then I said, okay, let's just wait. Instead of going back and be a farmer, I decided just to continue my studies in that line of uh, uh, studies in lipid biology. 
It's nothing to do with plants or farming at that point. The lab was at Utrecht University in the Netherlands. I didn't know actually that they were that famous when I joined the lab. But as soon as I get, I think after a couple of months, I realized that this is actually one of the best lab in the world in the lipid research. So that is basically where I ended up. And then and it's just, I'm behind this very giant, um, a very, very uh, accomplished scientist. And uh, it was fun. I learned a lot. PhD in hand. Dr. Tefessa moved on to MIT for his postdoctoral fellowship, where he met Dr. Hira Plu. Dr. Plu's oft-repeated story goes like this. One day at a biochemistry conference, after being assigned to the wrong lecture, well, let's hear from Dr. Tefessa. First time I learned about uh, single domain antibodies was when I was at at MIT, um, at the Whitehead Institute in the lab of Hida Plu. Uh, uh, he um, went to a conference in, in I believe it was in, in somewhere in Europe, and he learned about uh, this this uh, single domain antibodies, and he was so excited, and he called this lab meeting, and he said, okay, we are studying this. The project took off. Single domain antibodies also known as nanobodies, were discovered in 1993 by Raymond Hammers in Brussels. They are essentially simplified antibodies. Their small structure makes them much easier to isolate and extract than other antibodies. When Dr. Hammers and his team realized they had discovered a much cheaper way to work with antibodies, it took another decade for anyone to believe them. They are very, very exciting. They are very exciting because of the following uh, special features of the single domain antibodies. They are extremely easy to work with, and you can produce them in bacteria. Uh, so you don't really need this human uh, cell culture system that can be very, very expensive. Uh, and then not only that, they are very stable, meaning that you can just keep them at room temperature and they come back after a week and they are still active. You don't need this fancy, you know, um, uh, uh, facility or, or, or uh, uh, you know, uh, cold storage like minus 80 or minus 20 freezers. That have a huge implications uh, for our purpose because in developing countries, if we eventually develop therapeutics or diagnostic tools for this uh, using these nanobodies, we don't need these fancy um, facilities, um, you know, in, in, in rural Ethiopia or any sub-Saharan Africa. You don't have that. So this is a huge, huge advantage. And also, the conventional uh, antibodies, they are expensive to produce. Uh, and these ones are very cheap. Which brings us back to Dr. Tefesi's trip during his first week in Oregon. It wasn't nostalgia that drove him back to the farm. The opposite, actually. It was the future, in the form of nanobodies. And nanobodies in the blood of the animals that produce them. Yeah, I mean, I think alpacas are very, very interesting um, animals. Obviously, as I've said earlier, you know, they are very... Um, uh, very cute, very nice looking, for the most part, very friendly. That was the first time I heard about this uh, animals, to be honest. Obviously, I know about cameloids, 
but um, but I didn't know that those animals have this unique um, uh, unconventional antibodies. Actually, I went to a couple of farms in, in, in Oregon and then we were actually spend our whole afternoon actually feeding them and really try to just have some sort of connection there. I, 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 I had a wonderful time. If the COVID-19 pandemic has taught us anything, it's the logistical complexity of fighting a highly transmissible disease. Now multiply that disease by two and contain it in one of the most resource-constrained settings in the world, and you begin to get a view of the twin conjoined challenges of TB and HIV AIDS in Sub-Saharan Africa. In the lab, we, we, we have all sorts of uh, techniques to determine which antibodies are the most potent nanobodies. And then we use that for uh, three purposes. One is just to study the biology of a given virus uh, or a given bacteria. And the other one is to use them as diagnostics uh, because this antigen, the, these nanobodies are as good as, or even sometimes better than the, the, the conventional uh, monoclonal antibodies they are ideal um, for diagnostics. And the third and uh, the, probably the most important use of these nanobodies is uh, to use them as therapeutics to treat diseases that caused by viruses or bacteria. In this case, it could be uh, tuberculosis, HIV or COVID. The relationship between TB and HIV is complicated enough. We can vivify much of the picture by first focusing primarily on HIV, the virus that causes AIDS. In 2018, children accounted for 1.8 million of HIV cases worldwide. Currently, Sub-Saharan Africa accounts for around 90% of these children. And this is where it's helpful to zoom out from HIV in Ethiopia to consider TB. However, TB is often perceived as a relic of another time and place, when in fact, that place and its people aren't contained within the musty pages of history books. They live less than 9,000 miles from an alpaca farm in Oregon, a distance that might just close within our lifetime with the help from Dr. Tefessa and his adorable, brilliant collaborators. This is One Future, from the Center for Global Child Health Research, housed within the Pape Family Pediatric Research Institute at Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, Oregon. I'm Claire Johnson. This series is produced by Zoe Fanning and Andrew Stout. Editorial staff is Carl Caputo and Connor Chapman. Lynn Swarbrick is executive producer. And the center is directed by David Lewinson and Deborah Lewinson. <laughs>